This is My Montessori Life, a podcast that holds up a unique lens to contemporary social, cultural, and political issues. Maria Montessori aimed to reform humanity by building a better human being from the start, preparing young children for a life of profound self-determination, empathy, and wisdom, everything to which an advanced civilization should aspire. The podcast's regular hosts are Barbara Isaacs, president of Montessori Europe and one of the world's leading authorities on Montessori, and David Getman, author of the teacher's textbook Basic Montessori and founder of the software firm My Montessori Child, which sponsors this podcast. In this first of three podcasts on the theme of nature, Barbara and David explore Maria Montessori's advocacy of all things natural. Montessori believed that modern children, who are effectively imprisoned in our urban, degenerate, artificial lifestyles, should be reconnected with nature at large. By this, she meant not just flower gardens, petting zoos and parks with sandpits, but wild, scary and uncomfortable nature, wet, windswept, scorched and frozen, red in tooth and claw. This reconnection with real nature, she believed, frees the child's expansive spirit, slows life to the pace of the seasons, engenders respect for all living things, and releases the child's inner strength to thrive in adversity. Thank you, um, Barbara. Welcome back to our um, podcast. And we uh, are excited to address this new topic on nature. Those introductory thoughts derived from Dr. Montessori's chapter on nature in education, which is in her book, The Discovery of the Child. What else did she have to say um, on the subject of nature in her writings? Um, Thank you very much for introducing this topic to our podcast conversation. I particularly appreciated the beautiful introduction at the beginning, which relates to the discovery of the child showing the importance of children's connection to nature in an ideal world. Of course, those kind of connections with wild nature are not easy for the children of today, and perhaps we can return to that conversation a little bit later. When we trace Montessori's writing um, through her publications, she first mentions nature in education in her Rome Lectures of 1913. This was the year when she delivered first large international teacher training uh, program in Rome, which was attended by uh, teachers from all over the world, including some UK teachers who were paid for by um, the London County Council to attend this um, Um, this session, and it just reminds us of the changes which have taken place in the last hundred years um, in the attitudes to uh, Montessori. Yeah, that's remarkable that the the government was interested in these innovative changes in education and wanted to make sure they kept up with them. Yes, there certainly was a huge amount of interest in uh, new education um, just before um, the First World War, Montessori being just one of those um, approaches. But um, to go back to the 1913 lectures, Montessori talks very much about the importance of nature connecting with the spirit of the child. In other words, creating um, 
a huge level of extra importance which we should all pay to nature because nature gives us things which we often cannot express until we feel them. So that connection of being in the open, feeling um, the sand of the beach on your feet, feeling sun on your face, all those qualities, physical qualities which nature offers us are an important aspect of being a human living on this planet. I I read that Maria's great uncle, um, a gentleman called Antonio Stupani, uh, was a famous clergyman naturalist and a geologist, paleontologist in Italy. He wrote a book called The Beautiful Country, which described the relationship between humanity and nature and how civilization shapes the landscape. I wonder if that influenced Maria's interest in nature, and do you know of anything else that might have uh, affected her fondness for nature in her upbringing or in her background? Um, I was not aware of that publication, and that's really an interesting uh, point of reference because the uncle was very significant in her um, whole development um, as a doctor, as a um anthropologist and also as an educated educator later on um i i think that for montessori the whole idea of humans being part of evolution and paying attention to the evolutionary perspective continues to connect her with nature, not only nature of today, but also um, when we look at her great stories and the evolutionary perspective of, uh, of the world and her deep belief that children should be taught about the history of the earth from the natural perspective. So, um, for example, when our daughter was small. Often when we went for a walk, she would ask me, tell me the story of the world, how the world became. And we would talk about, um, you know, emergence of water, emergence of first animals, um, taking it all the way um, to the dinosaurs, which of course are fascinating all children because of their size and because of their of the fact that they no longer exist in dr montessori's youth and early education there would have been a lot of excitement about evolution it was a new concept um coming from darwin's origin of species which pretty much every uh discipline in the sciences and going even into humanities and and psychology, everybody was excited about this idea of natural selection and evolution. Um, And I can imagine that that caused a lot of reference to the concept of evolution in everything that um, Maria Montessori saw in her own early education and later in her academic work. Yes, um, she was definitely... Um, born towards the at the time of the height of the um, publication of the story of evolution, and um, yes, I agree, I agree that that would have um, 
interest in the whole new concept of how we have evolved and what it really means and how it also challenges the religious beliefs of the day. Um, all of that must have been of real interest to anybody who liked to entertain progressive ideas or was keen to explore ideas beyond the norm. Um, and that, without a doubt, would have been Montessori's interest. And it links um, so very closely to her study of biology, to her study of um, um, anatomy, and to her medical studies. I know that her first um, university course was in the natural sciences. Mm. Um, and so science and natural history is a, is a kind of recurring theme um, in her learning materials with children. Surprisingly so, because I think most people would think a three and four-year-old, you know, wouldn't have much interest in that direction. But um, actually, they seem to, because when you offer them those materials from the Montessori apparatus that children take to them very, very naturally. So does natural history form a pattern throughout her pedagogical career? Is, is, is she constantly referring to it? I think that it, there is strong evidence in her writing that she uses nature as an opportunity to uh, give analogy to the human development. And she also um, urges us um, to expose children to nature from very early on in The Secret of Childhood. She talks so beautifully about a baby uh, lying down in a pram under a tree and suddenly realizing the movement of the leaves and opening um, eyes very, very widely to the dappled effect of sun going through the leaves. And um, I have certainly experienced this uh, my own grandchildren when they were a little bit unsettled inside the house when they were babies. If we took them outside um, and change to the fresh air and to um, perhaps see the greenery of the garden or be close to leaves on a hedge or a, a flower on a tree, um, they, their point of interest has shifted straight away. And um, they are very... To this day, they are very interested in the natural changes um, on their regular walks, and they will point things to me, um, spotting where to, or remind me where we found the blackberries, knowing where some wild strawberries would be growing in other people's front gardens. All those little details become, and those connections, which are at their level become very important part of their daily experiences of life. And I think that's what Montessori would have wanted. They, she, she would have wanted young children to be, for nature to be integral part of their learning, being integral part of their experiences. And that, of course, is not always possible for children who live in the cities. Uh, but their life, our life to be in total wildness is difficult today. So we need to find ways how to 
introduce nature to children in many different circumstances. And then through the sensory experiences of nature, we can then bring those experiences into classroom and use some of the materials which um, Montessori um, has developed in order for children to become informed observers of nature, uh, to become um, uh, little uh, biologists. To, <laughs> yeah. and, and we we know how much they love watching a little bug crawling on the ground and how their sensitive period for detail will draw them, draw them to those um, little creatures, little ant passing the floor or um, a spider uh, making a web. All those things become of great fascination to them and enable us to introduce things like characteristics of a spider, talk about the difference between a spider and a ladybird, you know, all those little activities that we can um, do with mini bees through observation can then be supported by um, teacher-made materials like parts of a body or uh, life cycles of creatures or reflecting what children have collected on the way to nursery on the nature table, which should be part of every classroom. I I think it's wonderful how um, children bring a spiritual aspect to their observations and their being little natural historians. Mm -hmm. They love to explore the detail, as you say, but they also have an integrated understanding of how everything from, you know, the, the weather and the soil and the little animals that they find, how they all fit together and they see it naturally as a whole. And I'm very interested in how natural history was um, having a role in Maria Montessori's academic work, in her scholarly uh, researches and in her studies. Because of the contrast with religion at that time, um, people were starting to take sides of saying, oh, science, that's, that's the way to go. That's, the, that's getting to the truth of the universe. And um, religion started to be put a bit on the defensive. Um, and I think Montessori could see that, uh, that division starting to emerge and wanting to keep the connection going between the spiritual outlook and the um, scientific um, natural history that that she wanted children to understand and explore. I think that there is a continuous thread of the two ideas that we can witness in Montessori's own writing. Uh, In a way, we have lost both of those threads in our daily training of Montessori teachers. And we have um, also um, lost some of those esoteric connections, some of the beauty of nature um, through our work with the children. Uh, And we are reminded of the child's huge capacity to enjoy the gifts of nature. For example, when they watch snow falling 
and they go outside and collect the snowflakes on their hands and watch them disappear. Or when they suddenly see a rainbow appear and it is there one minute and it is gone the next moment. So I think that it is important for teachers or adults, parents too, to share uh, with children those wow moments of nature, which remind us that we are small part of something much bigger than ourselves, that we are a tiny speck in the universe of which we are all part. And I think this is really very important, particularly in today's world when we are thinking about um, the climate change and about our relationship with nature and also our responsibility for the natural processes that uh, retain the status quo of the earth because those have got huge impact on the whole earth. And so through the initial understanding and respect for nature, we open for the children the opportunity to explore some of the responsibilities which are placed on all of us as human beings in relation to what is happening in the world today. I think it's very important for um, people involved in early education now to not romanticize about nature, you know, not to pretend that it's all, you know, um, dancing through a field of daisies, but to actually grasp, uh, and I think Mont Montessori herself wanted this to be the case in our thinking about nature with young children, um, that it's actually quite messy and complicated and there's many parts and there's many um sort of balances which have to be achieved and there's competition and there's sometimes, you know, dramatic things happen all of a sudden. Um, so not to see, you know, nature through rose-colored spectacles, but to appreciate the full depth and um, challenge of living in harmony with nature, that it's not in, uh, it's not a case of feeling sweet about it, but it's, it's actually um, being able to understand it in depth and see the relationship between people and the natural world. And I think that that uh, we do, you are right that we all try to romanticize nature a little bit because it is something that we don't understand fully. But uh, if we introduce um, planting to children, if we, in, if we give them opportunities to have pets in the classroom, they will begin to understand the interdependence of all of us. And it is the interdependence that lies at the heart of survival, but much bigger global interdependence of all of us. But of course, this is it is such an enormous task which requires such high level of understanding that some of us as adults find this difficult to grasp. It is complex. Yes, the life world is messy, but introducing young children 
to the realities of life, um, to the fact that the pets that we have in the classroom are likely to die, um, that there is a natural cycle. Um, also giving them understanding where some of the food that we eat comes from. You know, um, for many children, sausages come from the supermarket. Uh, children do not understand that the meat that made the sausages has had have to come from somewhere. So all those little things are really, really vitally important as the foundations for kind of later understanding of our own responsibilities and for our capacity to grapple with some of the more complex um, issues of life today. I imagine that, um, you know, it must be true of everyone who studied to be a, a physician and who's practiced as a, as a physician. And also in, in Dr. Montessori's case, she spent 15 years of her career with helping and campaigning for children who had congenital, mental, emotional learning disabilities. And so she knew nature wasn't romantic. Nature wasn't perfect. It was messy and flawed and vulnerable. Um, anyone working in the medical sciences would would have that view. So I think it's fascinating how she took that appreciation of the complexity of nature and brought it into her educational approach. What makes it fascinating is the fact that following this work, she in fact advocated for natural, spontaneous development of the child. So she had a deep-seated belief that the child will follow what it, we consider to be a natural developmental path if they are given the opportunity to follow that path. So she, in a way, uh, advocated against too much teaching. She advocated against um, instruction in a formal sense. She really wanted the environment in which the child was thriving to um, provide what the child needed to demonstrate the human capacity of um, growing and learning. And um, we have seen that closeness to nature and human capacity to develop so well in various anthropological studies that have been done with um, um, the people in the Amazon or with tribes where connectedness to nature was a very, very deep-rooted part of the educational process. Um, recently, I have um, finished reading a book by Alison Gopnik um, called um, Garden and a Carpenter. And in it, she defines learning as the child's capacity to understand the environment in which they are living. And um, again, as a cultured uh, species, we have moved away from that connection with the environment. We think that somehow, because we as adults know more, we need to fix the children, give them more 
what we think they need and often overlook the children's own need to be and to learn at their pace and to explore the things that will make them a whole person. Uh, that, of course, changes when compulsory education begins. But in the early years, it is really, really important to continue to follow the natural path of development and giving the children the time and space to be in a rich environment from which they can choose the things that are relevant to them. Yes, I think natural learning is a great way of summing up um, a lot of her concepts about pedagogy, that there's a natural curiosity and excitement about the world in the young child and that we have to protect and cultivate that natural instinct. But the natural approach also interestingly extends to the activities and materials that we introduce the child to in the Montessori classroom. So there's a lot of reference to the natural as opposed to the artificial. So extensively using wood and wool um, fabric and not synthetics, um, silk. I think weren't the uh, the color tablets originally um, spools of silk thread, I think. And then also sand, um, were the sandpaper um, letters, for example. So, and of course the nature table with interesting natural objects to handle, as you mentioned, live pets and plants to tend, um, fresh flowers cut and arranged on the children's tables. Um, activities like the leaf cabinet, which surprisingly go deeply into botanical nomenclature rather than, you know, just say, isn't that a, isn't that a pretty leaf? So is this specifically about including the natural as an educational theme, or do you think it's partly due to just having traditional educational materials like the silk thread um, you know, which were developed a hundred years ago, and now we want to try to, uh, you know, replicate that in the modern day. So I think that there is um, some level of tension there, because of course the materials were developed at a time when plastics per se didn't exist, <laughs> and uh, you know, you could argue that plastics are as natural to the children of today as the wood was to the children 100 years ago. Um, I think that from the ecological point of view, the argument continues that using natural materials like wood, um, in fact, ensures durability of those materials. Therefore, we are encouraging sustainability and we are encouraging uh, positive um, use or care of these materials, whereas things that are, um, you know, like plastics, we often think of them as being throwaway because it doesn't matter, we can make more. So it, uh, by encouraging and continuing the focus on natural materials, we are also engendering this idea of the respect for the environment, engendering respect for natural resources. Um, and yes, we have been very fortunate in, in inheriting a wonderful array of materials from, uh, from a Montessori, which form the kind of 
foundations of um, the Montessori approach. But these materials sometimes also hinder the children's natural development when adults insist on presenting the materials over and over without actually listening to the children's natural unfolding uh, and natural interest because there's a way of coming to the materials not necessarily in a direct way but indirect way and this is where the opening of the classroom and including the outdoor classrooms as a important element of the children's learning which Montessori advocated soon after the opening of the first children's house, but which has taken almost 100 years to become effective in the UK, particularly because the idea of the outdoor classroom being a generic part of early childhood education has really only exploded in the last 10 to 15 years. And um, I have so welcomed this um, Back backdoor introduction of the outdoor classroom to the Montessori environments because for many children, particularly for city children, being able to go outside before they enter the classroom or being able to go outside when they have been satisfied or we, when they need a change of scenery, that kind of freedom, the flow between the indoor and outdoor very, very important um, tool of finding a personal calm, finding a personal equilibrium for the children, making them open to more spontaneous learning. I, I know I've seen quite a lot of um, Montessori settings who try to create a free flow and who specifically put certain activities outdoors um, maybe ones which better relate to their natural environment. So learning about color outdoors is a completely different experience than learning about it under the fluorescent lights of, you know, of a classroom. Uh, I, I know that every, it's quite famous that the very first children's house was in a very urban location um, in, in the middle of Rome and um, in a new, a new housing development in Rome. Did she encourage settings to be established in rural or remote locations closer to wild nature? I think she would have welcomed it because uh, when we look at historical photographs from very early on, we can see that um, she advocated children doing activities outside. There was a, a, the same way as there was a interest in education at the beginning of the 20th century. There was also interest in outdoor learning. Uh, we have evidence of uh, young children being encouraged to garden, going for walks in forests and things like that. So yes, um, that she would have encouraged that. But to be very honest, I think that the settings or the nurseries got established where there was the facility and where there was interest and where was also the finances to be able to do it. And that continues to be principle for Montessori education to this day. It is not uh, 
here we are Montessorians, we have got this wonderful thing to offer. Please come to us and we tell you where best to do it. Uh, I think that we are very much subject to um, the conditions of life. And that's part of the chaos. That's part of the grappling with the complexities. And um, it also relies on human ingenuity to become creative and find things to bring nature into the classroom, as you say, through the little vases of flowers, um, through having um, pets in the classroom, through children bringing little offerings of what they find. Um, for example, I know that our um, youngest granddaughter really loves collecting feathers. And uh, she will always point them out to me and I always have to pass them to her. And she always says, put it in your pocket. And when we come home, she wants to cut the feather bits of the feather. So if very, very simple things make may enable us to bring nature closer to the children. And it allows us to, through the feathers found, it allows us to introduce birds, to talk about different types of birds, um, um, looking at their beaks, looking at their feet. All of that is really, really important. I, I've seen some nice ideas in um, Montessori nurseries in the States where they've created little like treasure hunts through a natural setting, maybe through a field or into a little bit of wood where they um, have already laid out uh, letters, for example, which then they can read the letter, get the phonic sound and look for things around them that would be named with that sound. So um, yeah, anything that people can think of to bring children out of the classroom, bring learning into the environment would, um, would be beneficial. Um, while in India, Montessori, um, she extended the, the method to children ages six to 12 and called it cosmic education. So where knowledge about the universe is presented as a kind of system of interdependent natural phenomena, is it those in the elementary materials where her views on nature really come to fruition, where we can see um, at that point in her developing the method where she's really able to articulate her philosophy of, of the natural? Um, I think that... Um... Certainly, the um, principles of cosmic education, as delivered through the great lessons, uh, are the mainstay of uh, the Montessori primary or elementary curriculum. And yes, she developed that whole idea during her time in India when she had, and Mario, her son, was very much the contributing factor. So it gave her an opportunity to create something together with him, something that was the product of their efforts um, together. And it is a very powerful tool for delivery of the elementary curriculum. But I think we mustn't see cosmic education as a pedagogical tool only in terms of delivering the curriculum. I think it's really, really important to all of us try to grapple with the um, 
principles which underpin cosmic education, which are the uh, capacity of the species to be adaptable, um, which are understanding of the interconnectedness and interdependence of all, and of course, which highlight our responsibility for the planet and global citizenship. And I think it is really important in Montessori teacher training that this stance becomes an integral part of the training. It has not been so. It has always been, uh, well, the story of evolution is tricky. Not everybody accepts it. The great lessons really only belong to the elementary classroom. But the opportunity to demonstrate the children interdependence, to highlight our responsibility, to uh, appreciate the capacity to adapt, are things that need to be shared from the very, very beginning if we really want to educate uh, generations of children towards more respectful coexistence. And I think that in terms of the whole theory of cosmic education, the one element which has been overlooked um, is this idea of the cosmic task, the fact that each one of us is born with a task which we will have to fulfill, that each one of us has a role in this um, world. Um, regardless how big or small it is, we all need to fulfill our cosmic task in order mm -hmm. for the planet to exist. So that is something that we need to explore a little bit further. Yeah, I I think there's there's a lot to think about in the teacher in the design of teacher training. Um, I know that uh, there's many different approaches to teacher training, but it would be nice if everyone got together and could debate and discuss how to enrich it, how to make it more in line with the spiritual approach to nature and to our existence, um, rather than the mechanics of the method. I think that um, the pandemic and the fact that we have had to go and um, suddenly go and teach children online and do Montessori teacher training has provoked already some of these discussions. It is a, a very welcome um, trend of the difficult times we have all experienced because during lockdown, we have all been so much more aware of the importance of our connections to nature. And we have suddenly discovered uh, the joy of being outside, the joy of seeing uh, changes in our immediate environment, the joy of nurturing plants on our balconies and windowsills. You know, there have been a real shift in being more connected and people are reflecting on how they live and what life really means. I'm also aware that um, it, the time of the pandemic has been really, really difficult for some families, and yeah. they have not had the luxury of reflecting on all these things. Yeah. I mean, Montessori was would have been very interested in the pandemic. I mean, she was always the scientist, wasn't she? She wanted 
education to be based on a scientific understanding of the psychology of human development. Um, she wanted the um, Montessori directresses to rely on detailed observation, evidence-based thinking and hypotheses, carefully engineered pedagogical methods and so on. So she was always very scientific. But to me, the kind of science she was talking about was less like modern, what we think of in the, in the modern day as science, sort of psychosocial research and neurological experimentation and so on. I think it was more like what we think of today as natural history rather than um, experimental science and that she wanted a method of education based on the natural, the nature of human being. Um, yes, I would certainly agree with that. And um, well, her scientific approach was based on her foundation in study of biology, in study of human beings. Um, this was the field which was uh, close to her. And in some of the writings, she does refer to engineering and uh, discoveries of the day. But um, I think that. Well, it would be interesting to think how she would have approached the pandemic and if she would have seen it as inevitable because of the evolution of human beings or if she would have seen it as something which we brought us on ourselves because of the way how we have um, conducted ourselves. Yeah, but I think that's... The it's interesting that the concept of science has changed that we've yeah. that her idea about science and in the way that she saw science as a subset of culture you know in, in her categorization of activities she included within culture um not just the things that we think of as culturally specific but also the pursuit of um science and understanding the world around us so it's obviously a a very different way of thinking about science. The way we think about science is this is fact, you know, how the government's always referring to it. It's we, you know, we follow the science. Everything's fact-based that <laughs> we do. Um, when actually people are learning um, through the pandemic that science is a series of evolving theories about evidence. They're not, there's, there's no solid facts. They keep changing the, the theory based on the evidence as it accumulates. So um, it's, I, I think we it's it's good to keep in mind that Montessori, the scientist, um, and particularly in regard to the science of nature, was ultimately an observer and a, and a an appreciator and um, an integrator rather than an analyst who wants to break everything apart. Well, yes, um, because she was interested in the whole even though the detail was uh, was important. But I think that um, her approach is very suited to introducing science to very young children because we need to begin by observing. Uh, and it is the observation of the natural or man-made phenomena that will prompt some questions and hypotheses and um, uh, potentially some scientific research. Um, this is small s, not scientific research uh, in laboratories of today. 
But from the young child's point of view, it is about sparking the interest, planting the seed, um, lighting the flame of imagination, which could then lead to expressions through art, through scientific research, through supporting others in their daily life. I think that once again, if we go with the child's natural interest and natural aptitudes, it will enable them to find a path which hopefully works for them as grown-ups so that they can fulfill their cosmic task, so that they can give something to society whilst they are living their life. Okay, I think we'll stop there for now. Thank you to Barbara and David, as always, and we'll see you in the next episode.